This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Gunworks. Thank you Sitka Gear and Gunworks for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, Mr. Michael Southern, the face of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, the guy that's been in the trenches for a quarter century, and that makes you old officially, but <laughs> welcome to the Talk of Sheep. Again, I, I know you've been on before, but uh, we've not done the one-on-one, and I've been really stoked about this. You're kind of our equivalent of Omer. You know, you say what you think, and uh, uh, but welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, it makes me pretty popular and unpopular all at the same time. It's definitely a double-edged sword, that one. Uh, as long as you don't go into politics today we might get through this without having a lawsuit on our (laughs) well i'll tell you um it's good for the ratings but it's probably not good for the society overall (laughs) yeah no doubt yeah like i say well uh the time yeah if they're sending jordan peterson in for re-education i could be fucking next if the if i start opening my app too much today so (laughs) (laughs) uh yes uh, (laughs) not that i'm comparing myself to jordan peterson because good god that guy's yeah amazing but Anyways, and anybody who doesn't know who Jordan Peterson is, you better check him out online. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we're already in the shit here, buddy. Yeah, are we? Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm to- totally joking. Um, no, and, and that's going to be the cool thing about today is candid conversation about all the stuff we're going to talk about. But, uh, like, Mike, you, you're one of the guys I really look up to, and it's interesting, like, in the early days, you've kind of been the guy in the background as a general rule. And I remember in the early days, um, it was I think Capecchi was president when my first the show I went first to, to the show in Kelowna at the time, and and then the next year, like oh, there's this president like Mike Southern, like who's that guy? I didn't, I'd only been around for a year anyway, and it's like, and then I'm kind of got a little bit educated, but um, you know, you you've had a lifelong of dedication to conservation, and and you're one of the the diehard hunters. We got lots of diehard hunters in British Columbia. You're one of them. So I kind of, and we started touching on it before we went on the air, but I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, why you're so passionate about hunting. Is this something you grew up with? Did you have a 22 when you're five years old or how did that work? Yeah. Interestingly enough, no, I didn't. I mean, I I grew up in, of all places, Richmond. I mean, shocking. I mean, back in those days, we actually had pheasants in our backyard and and there wasn't that many neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I came from a family that was, uh, on my dad's side, my, my grandfather, um, who I you know kind of adored and idolized, um, was a, a very passionate. Well, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't necessarily say passionate hunter. Uh, loved the outdoors. Uh, did spend a bunch of time out there, but grew up in that recession era where I mean they needed they needed to shoot deer and whatever else to to survive. I mean, so he'd go out there and shoot as many deer as they they needed for the family, the the friends, etc. Um, and you know, obviously at the same time they were doing their their predator management, which meant basically any. Any black bear that moved was shot dead and, and left, and maybe in some cases they used them for lard and for for boot grease and stuff like that. But but they never ate the things, right? So, and then on my on my mom's side of the family, she comes with uh, eight brothers and sisters, and the entire Dab clan um, it was basically basically avid hunters. Um, whether it was uh, you know uncles that were part of that group or uncles that married into that family. Um, so I grew up sort of idolizing those guys and spending a lot of time on, on of all places, Vancouver Island. And, and I love Vancouver Island, just hate that fucking ferry. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I spent lots of time over there in the summers, um, two, three weeks at a time, you know, 
picking oysters with my grandpa, digging clams, walking down to the creek, finding fossils, etc. Things that, well, I shouldn't even say that because I still got some of those fossils. Somebody else might want those back if I'm not careful. But anyways, yeah, stuff like that. And then it just kind of morphed into into what it is today. I, I started guiding uh, in my 20s up in the Yukon and um, I just fell in love with it. I, I just, I don't know, I eat, sleep and breathe it. Man, I, I wake up, I wake up thinking about it, you know. Can't can't stop myself, and whether it's off-season stuff, looking at gear, and and just trying to keep myself busy, talking to buddies about hunting, you know, looking at maps and pouring over stuff like that. Um, yeah, I just just can't get enough of it. That guns, fishing, yeah, yeah fishing, just fishing for me. It's just something to do when I'm not hunting, basically, right? <laughs> right on. So you talk about those early days in Richmond, you know, when, what was your first hunt? Like when did you first go out and kill something? Was it, well, were you really young or? Yeah. I mean, we more than, yeah, I mean, I did, did do some trips with, with my dad and stuff like that. And I, I remember him going off to, he worked for the federal government and, uh, and was, we're from Canada, manpower and immigration, which I don't know what the hell they've morphed into now. Um, but basically his job was to go to various places within the province that were having issues uh, as far as maybe they maybe they were shutting a mine down or there was some logging camp or something like that that needed to uh, to re well they needed to they didn't want to get rid of and, and and lay off all the workers. Dad came up with a program whereby they wouldn't have to, so he he traveled around the province doing this kind of stuff. So I got to and in doing so, one of the things that stick stuck in my mind and it's probably got to be my junior high school days was him going off to the Queen Charlotte Islands and. Uh, with his buddy Bill, who he was working with at the time, another a private consultant guy, and um, and just grabbing his rifle and and I don't even know if he had a soft case at the time. I don't think he did. And mom dropping off at the airport with his rifle in hand and literally telling me the story later on that yeah, you know, I just sat down, took my rifle on the plane, sat down, flew to the Queen Charlotte's, came back with a couple deer in their in their luggage basically, and uh, and sort of went on from there. So it was kind of neat because I watched that evolution of. At the time, it was CP Air, where, yeah, there was no issues with guns. And then the next time he went, which was just a year later, he was all put out because he had to spend $5 on a cardboard box that, that was a gun case, basically, um, with a couple straps and some foam inside that he was able to then still walk on the airplane with, if you can believe it. Like, it just, it's <laughs> fucking believable. Like, I, you got to love it, right? It's kind of like, I mean, I grew up in that era where the first thing I did put in my new pickup truck was a gun rack. Man. Like, that's, that's just what you did, right? And I do it today, except I just don't need the... I don't need to deal with the bullshit. So, yeah. So, sorry, I'm kind of probably off topic there, but you know. No, no, it's really cool. So, you know, when we talk about your sort of hunting resume and, you know, I look at you and for you, it's, you've killed a ton of shit, a ton of big shit. Um, and I know you're super passionate about a few things. Let's talk about sort of what drives that. So early days, you talk about deer hunting and that sort of stuff and probably pheasants in the backyard in Richmond. What, how did that sort of evolve and, you know, what are you stuck on now? What, where does your brain go when you think about hunting? Well, yeah, again, I, I didn't really finish the, the topic of, of, of where I started hunting. So, yeah, with that and dad, that was the, one of those things. And then we do an annual trip over to Vancouver Island and it was usually a blue grouse hunt um, or something like that. And always, of course, with being in school at the time, it fell on those, you know, right before whatever could happen right before he went to school, before Labor Day or over that Labor Day long weekend, etc. And then... For the, a lot of years, and up until my probably nineteen twenty or nineteen or twenties, I didn't do any other hunting other than that first trip in September type thing, which was usually a weekend type deal. And then we started going to Grand Forks, my cousin Al and I, 
and and my and my my dad, my uncle, etc. And we chased whitetails around there. And I didn't even shoot my first whitetail buck or my first. Yeah, I didn't shoot anything until I was about I want to say nineteen or twenty. And then it just went from there. So as soon as that happened, then it was just uh, it was just mayhem, man. Like like say if I'd be a whole lot wealthier if I didn't hunt, shoot, etc. Right? Yeah, it's an easy yeah, sure. easy hole so, to spend money on. Yeah. So it goes. It's a long ways to going from a grouse hunter and deer hunter to now like pretty diehard freaking mountain hunter. And you know m- most of the stuff I here and see you do it involves like a pretty serious mountain or several mountain trips um so where did where did that really hook you and where did you get that hook on getting stuck on the mountain well probably that guiding in the yukon would would have be would have been what really got me hooked um i mean that was you know you're in there for two and a half to three months a year um you know living with your horses and and the various clients etc and doing your thing and again chasing around those yukon the mountains in the yukon it, there's really once you've been there and, and done that uh, i mean bc is an amazing place but the yukon has just got a real romantic i got a real love affair with it put it that way like it's if it wasn't if it wasn't for for my wife i i live in 100 mile now and i'm happy to be here rather than live in that fucking cesspool of the lower mainland but um <laughs> I, I totally would just move to Whitehorse or somewhere up there and just live in a freaking off-grid cabin in the bush and have my horses and do my hunts and, and giddy up. And I, you know, yeah, so it, it morphed in from that into me doing those trips on my own and with my family, with friends. And and now it's at the point now where, yeah, I do my, no matter what, well, I'm going to do it until we're not allowed to. And we're not, sh- I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not shooting as much stuff as we used to anymore. Like we've all got numerous rams on the wall and, and I don't really have any need to shoot anything smaller than i've already got it and i think that's a, a, a natural evolution for for most of us sheep hunters uh, but i do have a, a desire to see my sons and his friends and and anybody else that really wants to go I, i'd like to be a part of that i just i mean even even when i get old enough that i may not be able to hike up the freaking mountains as much or chase the moose around the swamps as much i don't i want to be there man like nowadays like i say we i started off in august i spend two 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 to three weeks in august and then typically all of september in the bush and that's usually one 30-day trip and uh and then come home and, and you know if we've had a good if we've had a good season we you know whereby we you know we've, we've shot a few animals the freezer's full already etc i'm usually fairly satiated like i don't have that real i don't know this on this need i've got plans in my head i mean i keep thinking hey well i got this nice new jet boat i'm going to go out in the thompson i'm going to go chucker hunting and i'm going to chase these chuckers around here and i'm going to go goose hunting over here and yeah, you know, if I after I put on like this last trip that Colin and my buddy Colin and I just got back from, you know, we did we did conservatively 100 kilometers uh, round trip with packs on basically every day, and uh, that's a big that's a big freaking haul when you're 50 plus and doing your thing. And yeah, I mean the wife, I mean I think she's pretty fucking happy with me. I came back. I don't think I'm that much later, but she's pretty fucking yeah. Hey, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. You're doing it for her, obviously. You just want to look good yeah, for her. It's all, it's all about the it. wife, my hunting passion and desires. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So if we look back and you, so you started the, the guiding in the Yukon, were you doing some dulcie punts up there or was it moose and stuff? Yeah, like no, that? It, it was it was always combination type stuff. Five hunts, five, five camps, five so five guides, five wranglers, um, five hunts through the year. Um, somewhere between four and five dulcie punts per season per per guide type thing so yeah we were we were guiding doll sheep right from day one and and i didn't have any experience it was uh 
I worked for a guy named Rod Hardy who who uh, just passed away last last year actually, and uh, he sold his area in the Yukon, uh, which is just east of Kluwani, uh, to a guy named Tim Mervin. Uh, approximately twenty. It's got to be 22, 23 years ago, or maybe even longer. You know, it's got to be even longer than that. And um, anyways, yeah, those first few hunts, I met Rod at my taxidermist place in, in Richmond, of all of all places, and we got biesing, and sort of the last thing out of his mouth as I'm walking out the door is, hey, you interested in coming guiding? And I'm like, hmm, yeah, maybe, man. Like, at my parents' house, so I was living in my parents' house in Richmond. My dad at the time was working for the World Bank, and he was in, of all places, freaking Egypt. And so I phone I phone him up and I'm like, hey, um, we gotta look find find somebody to take care of the dog in the house. And he's like, why? I said, I'm going to the Yukon guide, man. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, I'm going to the Yukon. <laughs> what, what? You don't you don't even know anything about the Yukon? I said, no, I don't. But we're gonna go check it out, right? And uh, anyways, long and short, uh, Rod took Mandra's wing on those first two hunts and uh, and uh, showed me the ropes and this is what you do, this is what you don't do, and and that kind of stuff. I'm sure just testing the waters to make sure it wasn't a complete fucktard. And um, and off we went from there. It was it was a good story. It was it was just yeah, it was just fucking fun. We just had a great time. Other than you know, I mean, there's a lot of great clients and there's a lot of fucking idiots too. But anyways, we shouldn't talk about that. So <laughs> okay, so you did that for a few years up there, and then when did you do your first sheep on? Was it BC sheep on as a resident, or yeah. did you get a hunt? Yeah, for them, or no, how that worked? Came, yeah, and again, I I don't even know how old they would have been. It was well, my kids are twenty. How old are my kids? Twenty six. Kids are twenty six. Looking at the wife. 27, yeah, so the kids are 27. So my first sheep hunt in BC was when I met Chris, my present hunting partner, Chris Barker, and my buddy Ken Hamer. And uh, we uh, we met on basically en route to our sheep hunting destination. We were we were hunting on the Upper Musquaw with Guy Scott, who was the previous owner, well, prior to Kevin Willis, and I, I don't can't think of the, the new fellow's name that owns Riverjet Adventures, but... Um, yeah, heading in there and doing our sheep hunt, and we, uh, yeah. Anyways, long story short, we we had a triple header that year, and nothing spectacular. They were just sheep, but they, we were all pretty excited to have them. Chris was the only one in our group at the time who'd already shot sheep, and um, and then it just evolved from there. It was just okay. Well, that was cool. And then next year, the next year came. Well, the, the next year I was back there again by myself. Um, you know things that make your wife and your mother really unhappy, you know, <laughs> wandering into the, into the bush, sleeping with the bears by yourself, just you and your rifle, uh, basically, uh, or at least that's how they look at it, I think. And, um, yeah, I did that all by myself again. And, uh, yeah, just, it just kind of morphed into an annual thing and, and probably not as regular. I let stupid things like work and family get involved. You know, work and family get involved <laughs> with my decisions on whether or not I should should go or not. And uh, so there was a number of years there where I, that I missed out on, right? And uh, yeah, anyways, looking back, I sure would have liked to have had those years in the bush, but there was obvious reasons why, why I didn't go to, so. Yeah, right on. Um, so terms of sheep what have you, you i know you killed a ton of stones but have you got all four or what's no i, I uh, don't have my doll sheep yet um yeah i've got i've got, got a number of good stone sheep i've got a couple of doll sheep and uh and you know i don't broadcast this stuff i don't really i'm not a scoring guy i am like i do like to know how big my sheep are etc but i don't 
enter them in books and I don't put them on fucking Facebook and I don't have enough tattoos and my beard's not big enough to be a real fucking outdoorsman anymore, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I guess, you know, you're giggling, so you know what I'm talking about. The latest and greatest craze is these guys showing up, you know, all tattied up with every fucking thing they've shot on their arms and their and their necks and their ears and whatever else and a beard down to their nuts basically right and you gotta, i think you got to have that before you're, you're really not an outdoorsman bushman and these guys probably aren't ever going to talk to me now but anyways that's all right <laughs> i think you're friends with lots of them so they, they'll probably forgive you at least the ones that know you anyway so. well and when i say that uh, my son my son doesn't have the beard but yeah he's got a picture of his grizzly bear that we shot in 2017 or whatever year it was that they closed it on his on his arm too right and then a mule deer and stuff yeah so I, i'm gonna get a bit of grief from him too on it but anyways it is what it is <laughs> um so when you think of your sheep hunts what's I maybe what stands out the most in terms of a hunt like do you did one come to mind or or even what you know what you know they're all perhaps? yeah I, you know what I don't, I don't know I don't know I, man I don't know like is is for in my in my world and like I say I've, I've done a lot of hunting in BC and, and a fair fair bit in, in North America and uh, the sheep I don't know man they're they're super cool but none of them really stand out in my mind as as the best hunt i've ever had i mean they're they're not particularly difficult i mean i don't want to sound cocky and i and i'm not i just they're not particularly difficult animals to hunt it is a simple fact on them that you just got to know what fucking mountain they're on and what time of year they're standing there which isn't that hard to figure out after some time in the bush and they'll be there year after year after year so there, there's never, it's never been a real challenge to kill sheep. Um, lately, it's been the challenge to improve on those sheep or to find new country. And, and I guess we're bitten with that bug at, where, you know, you got to check out new country. And I was commenting to, to my partner this year because Chris couldn't come with come with me. He's coming in with his son Jacob here on, in well, in, in a couple weeks up into the cast areas for a few weeks on my month long trip. But yeah, it's that, that desire to see new country and to improve on it. And then like this spot we landed in this year was, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty wild trip. You're in the middle of the middle of nowhere, landing on an old fricking air airstrip with a super cub and, and then putting a hundred kilometers under your, on your feet to, to do the, the, the round trip that we did in there to, to try to find these sheep, which we, which we did. We found some sheep, but we never did find the rams. Uh, although I do know where they're at now, Nolan. <laughs> I mean, anyways. So yeah, I, I know where they're at. Um, and I, yeah, whether or not I go back there or not, I don't know. Like I say, we're all getting older, and and those are big trips, and these willow choked bottoms that are just littered with. I've never seen so much bear shit. I don't know. I don't know what what our fucking world's thinking when we can't shoot bears and and there's literally. Uh, there was one section on this trail that was probably when I, I don't know how far it was. We were, we were doing six to nine kilometers a day, depending which way we were going and how we were, how we were traveling through just traveling as such. And there was one with these willow chalk choked bottoms that was so full of fucking bear shit that, that I mean, you would just expect to see one on every corner. And, and it was just, it was amazing. Like it was, I've just never even hunting the coast and stuff like that on those old worn down bear trails that are just sunk right into the, into the old growth forest and stuff like that. I've never seen that volume of shit. And, and yeah, and our first, first night out, and I'm, I know my mom's not listening to this, so I'm probably, I can say it, but, or excuse me, it was our second night out where captain, camped up on top of a mountain and we'd seen some sheep that night and we're, we're just tucked into the rocks and, it, and it's a natural travel corridor we're not on, on a trail as such 
but yeah, I don't know. It was about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, and you hear this this shuffling of feet and huffing of a bear as it's fucking blowing by our tent because we obviously, you know, kind of kind of surprised them. And you know, thankfully, touch wood, we didn't have any problems. Um, and I know I'm off on a tangent on bears, but uh, but it's a it's yeah it's starting to become a concern. And, and I mean, it's such a shame because you know that some of these poor bears are going to get shot and 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 left and uh, just because there's you know people are fair afraid of them and rightly so in some cases. I would be if it was trying to come through the fucking tent at me. But touch wood, and I've never I've never had that issue with it. But I do know of people that have, and pretty frightening shit. And, and yeah, not, it's not going to stop us from killing those bears. But uh, but in saying that, like I say, some of these bears that we're seeing are just freaking monstrous old bears, and and they they're, they're going to be a problem. People are going to kill them. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about grizzly bears. So we kind of segued into that subject well, yeah, here, and yeah. let's uh, and, 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 and that's I guess good. I actually, segued there on my own, Kyle, because that that probably is it would would be my passion if I had one hunt. And don't get me wrong, I love eating meat and. Uh, I love uh, I love that harvest. I love going down to the freezer all through the winter and, and deciding what 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 I want to, to have. What are we having a moose roast, an elk roast, sheep steaks, whatever it happens to be. But uh, yeah, if I had one hunt that I could do, and, and if I said I had one passion, it would be it wouldn't be just hunting bears. I, bears, black bears, just don't for some reason just don't turn my crank. But chasing grizzlies, and and we've had. I killed my first one after they first closed the grizzly season, and I and I can't remember when they closed it and when they reopened it. Um, when we had the change of government from NDP at the time to Liberals, and they reopened the grizzly bear hunt, and I killed one that year. And and I've been, you know, and it, again, it wasn't. It was kind of like for a sheep, you just want to get one done. And would I shoot that same bear today? Probably not. Well, guaranteed not. Um, but I've had the opportunity to chase lots and to shoot more than more than my what I would consider my fair share. But the neat thing about hunting grizzly bears and why I was so passionate about getting Mac, my my son, out there to do it is is again the country and and it, it takes you into places, especially if you're hunting on the coast or whatever, even the mountains in general. Um, it takes you into places that you just would have no reason to be, pretty much, right? And and just uh, some amazing country. Um, Matt killed his bear down in that Kamano country, um, down below Kitimat, and uh, and it it was just it's just country that you really I mean you're a pretty small piece of the world down there man like it's just monstrous big country frighteningly dangerous with monstrous bears uh, big ass country um, seas that want to fucking swallow you up and spit you out in fucking Japan basically and um, yeah just neat places to be and and it's just. I don't know. I, I you know, I've I've shot big bears, I've shot medium bears, I've shot ugly bears, and now I'm looking for that combination. If we if we ever have a season again, you know, I could probably hunt the rest of my life and not shoot another grizzly bear and be happy. But if that one that I've got pictured in my head was ever to appear in front of me, you know, because I wouldn't stop at this point being retired and still having lots of life in me, I'd do it for the rest of my fucking life until I couldn't walk, quad, or freaking crawl to where I wanted to go or move myself around in a wheelchair. I'd keep doing it, right? Um, but yeah, again, in saying that, it's at this point, uh, if it was ever back, I would just, yeah, I'd be out there taking my kids and taking my friends and anybody that wants to go and, and look at different country and new country and yeah, just fun stuff, man. So spring season or fall season? It, it uh, you know, but you know, or? for me, it's, it, I think what really turned my crank to, about it was spring, getting out and doing something other than, you know, 
uh, well, yeah, just getting out. I mean, out of that, again, I lived in the lower mainland most of my life. So just any fucking excuse to get out of that fucking cesspool was, uh, was reason enough for me. And it just happened to be that that was a really great reason. So. Huh. Awesome. Now, Mac killed a really great bear in 17 when it closed and, uh, probably one of the last grizzly bears killed in British Columbia. It was a super cool hunt, but, um, you that wasn't the biggest bear you guys killed you killed bigger bears yourself right yeah i, I yeah we definitely killed bigger bears it, it was a good bear um it's it's neat cutting that so that was a fall hunt that particular one and and it's neat country because uh i i don't know and, and, and a biologist may call may call me out on it but uh those salmon fed streams are 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 you know, whether streams rivers in this case um, I mean, there's there's coastal bears that are very obvious coastal bears you see down on the on the rivers. Um, you'll see them as as the big old boars, the younger boars. You see family groups, and then every once in a while, and, and they're all the same sort of brown color, big hairy, you know, just super cool animals. And then you'll see these freaking gorgeous and, I, and, I, and smaller stature mountain bears, or at least I'm assuming they're mountain bears. I mean, they just look like a different bear. They're almost a subspecies type thing. Like they were just just totally different bears than the other, than the other bears. Um, so it was neat to see that, that, um, and you'd see them, I mean, the mountain, and again, I don't know if they were mountain bears, but those, those different colored bears, uh, react differently. They'd be, they, they do their different things. We'd see the same bears over and over throughout the week or two that we were in there. And then every once in a while you see these, these newer, prettier bears poke their heads in and out and stuff like that. And you know, we'd have them wandering through camp and we camp right out on the, on the riverbank basically. And the bears, every night, I mean, there's fresh tracks right beside our tents. And it, it's kind of, like I say, we, we were pretty cautious about how we ate and, and how we stored our food, et cetera. But, but we never really, we never had any problems with them. And, and to this date, again, touch wood, we we haven't and hopefully won't ever have to deal with that issue of bears in, in our tents <laughs> so in your experience you've never had a, a like a, a train wreck with a, a, a grizzly like obviously you get close you've had them come by the tent um kind of the normal stuff you get in the mountains but you've never had a like a problem bear where you're like we, you're we've had we've had problem bears yeah yeah and, and the number that we've had to report after the fact that we you know we've shot etc but typically they've been black bears and uh okay yeah, I remember Greg again. Chris and I were up in the Tatsunshini hunting grizzly bear one spring, and uh, yeah, we were we were in camp. I, I believe we'd already killed my bear, and uh, I just crawled into the tent, and I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later, I'm laying in the tent reading a book or something like that, and Chris is like, "Give me your gun." I'm like, "Why?" I says, "I'm going to kill that fucking black bear before it gets us." Right? <laughs> His black bear decided to come and do its thing, and it was literally crawling in on its belly. Um, to, to fucking to you know see what the fuck we were all about and stuff like that. So we had to, we had to shoot that bear unfortunately, and then we got back out to um, to Haynes Junction. Yeah, we were we ended back in Haynes Junction, and then I phoned my buddy at the time who was a seal, and and reported it, and uh, yeah, all, all good, right? I mean, it, but it's just uh, yeah, it's a shame when you have to do it, and 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 it's been getting more. I guess we touched on enough that it's getting more and more regular. It seems to be every trip. Last year we got charged again in our tent. We had a bear come through at nighttime, and it, I mean, we're camped on a spot that, again, was a natural travel corridor, um, but again, nowhere else to camp. Um, and when I say natural travel corridor, it's kind of the only strip of land between this little pond and puddle and the side of the mountain. And uh, this thing, it, it, again, lying in bed reading, my buddy Ken snoring away already. And it probably was the only, it was the fact that we smelt so bad that maybe it just didn't fucking eat us. I don't know. 
<laughs> lying in, in the tent. And I, you know, just I had this inkling that there was, there was that I could hear something. And I'm, I'm half deaf because all I've ever done is work with power tools and shoot guns. So it's uh, my hearing's not as good as it should be. But I had this inkling that there was something moving out there. And, and then just didn't think much of it just because it just didn't really didn't really sound like anything. And uh, I clicked my light off, put my book down type thing. And uh, like two minutes later, it just sounded like there was a horse galloping at my tent, right? And it stopped right at the fucking edge of the tent, feet down, huffed and puffed a couple times. And then, you know, and at this point, my, my buddy, he'd left his gun in the vestibule on the tent. I got mine beside me, but I just got a little seven psalm. And I think I was shooting burgers at the time. Not really the ideal bear gun. But... Um, Anyways, I, you know, not to freak the bear out and give him a reason to charge. I kind of just got myself ready and tried to get myself sit up as quietly as possible. Didn't turn a light on. I got the rifle in my hand and I got my, my headlamp in my hand so I can point it with the rifle. And I just kind of just slowly racked one in the chamber and then opened the vestibule. It probably took me five minutes because I just didn't want to move too quickly if it was standing right there. And again, we're, we're camped on moss, so you couldn't hear it. And, uh, Open the zipper. I open the zipper for the vestibule. I pass can is three hundred Weatherby, and then I open the the door of the of the tent and crawl out and I got my light out there and I'm looking, looking and and the, the bear just fucked off. I I, th I don't know if he had just didn't know what we were. He wasn't used to what you know the, having that big uh, Hilleberg tent in his natural travel corridor or what the deal was, but he wasn't happy about seeing us there. And I don't need it to happen all the time. And if that's all that happens, that's fine. But but it's, it's I, I think, and you'll hear more stories. There's more guys. It's happening more and more all the time. The bears just aren't afraid of us anymore. So, yeah. Okay, let's go there for a sec. Let's, uh, you know, there's, the government's recently released this um, stewardship framework for grizzly bears, and they spent a bunch of money and came up with a 87-page report that's uh, pretty fancy, and it talks about grizzly bear numbers and this and that, and um, touches on hunting, but doesn't make any recommendations and uh you know they're they're going to spend money and they're, they're putting this effort into it um what's your kind of take on all this and um you know so i guess let's tee this up a little bit more for our listeners and society members uh this is an opportunity to weigh in with a government plan around grizzly bears and uh obviously Everything's on the table. This is a document that's going to go out to the public. They're looking for public engagement. It closes September 8th, I think's the date. And um, it's really important that everyone comment on this, uh, certainly in our community, and get their feedback in. It's a little comprehensive, the document itself. So the society's taken the liberty to sort of uh, synthesize it and go through it and come up with some ideas and thoughts on it and kind of provide some input. And again, this is just, uh, you know, from an organizational perspective, we've got our directors and our leadership team that have sort of made some recommendations. But that said, you know, having the public weigh on it, I can guarantee you there's people that don't like grizzly bear hunting and don't live in BC that are commenting on this and we're not going to like what they say. So it's important that we all sort of do our part. They shut down the grizzly bear in 17 based on a survey. I think there was roughly 4,500. They said 78% of the uh, comments were against grizzly bear hunting. So less than 3,000 people or 3,300 people commented on this against it and they shut down hunting because of it. So, um, you know, we know what a management tool is. So let's, Mike, I know you've been involved in this. You've looked at the grizzly bear management uh, stewardship framework. Um, let's just talk a little bit about it, why it's important, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, for sure, Kyle. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard reading, like you said. Uh, I tried I tried commenting 
or or, uh, or answering the survey uh, without reading it, and and you know, and you almost could fumble through it. Um, but they do ask some specific questions about certain things that were out of my bellywick as such. I didn't have the answers on on some of the some of the things that they asked that you would have had to read fully through it. So I did go back and read it, and uh, and and whatnot and and it, it's dry as fuck man like it, it's typical bureaucratic bullshit but um you know my, what i what what i what it left me with was them talking about doing this framework this stewardship plan for grizzly bears in conjunction with residents or in conjunction and for residents basically is what they say and yet again just like the first uh, the, the the first um first decisions i mean they were made with support internationally so these these anti-hunting groups um and it's not hard i mean you can you can write them out you, i can't i don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many there are there's a lot of them out there i mean these guys all get in at the ground level and start commenting and, and i don't know how the government weighs their comments in relation to a residence but i expect if it fits their narrative that they use they they weigh them on a one-to-one -one basis their their opinions are as important um, as our opinions as such and, and they typically do a better job of responding. I mean, we seem to want to wait for our organizations and groups to uh, to answer for us, take care of us, uh, the wildlife fed us, whoever it happens to be. And, and we can't, you can't do it alone. I mean, I, I do believe that all the various organizations, GOABC, et cetera, all need to have a, a stand on this and, and they do believe they do. Um, but um, but we got to take the time if it's important. And it's not just about, about grizzly bears. I mean, these guys are talking about having having areas that'll be grizzly bear conservation areas as such, and there'll be no hunting in these areas. And there's, there's a few spots like that already throughout the province. Um, so it, it also boils down to they're going to be taking more opportunity away from you. And we've seen that over and over again in this province, whether it's fires burning things down and this and that, and and, and then not being able to go in there, uh, you know, for the time being uh, on a, on a, on a short-term basis, but let's see what, how that actually, what that looks like in a few years. I suspect it's just going to stay the same. You know, the key takeaway for, for me and the one thing that society is trying to advocate for is people just need to weigh in with their thoughts and, and certainly, uh, uh, and, you know, it's good to get everyone's opinion and, um, you know, just comment. Like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to toe the society line if you don't agree with it or whatever, just, but get on there and at least have a comment because there's going to be people commenting there that are going to have a lot th worse things to say about grizzly bear hunting in the province and grizzly bear management. And, um, you know, and is it serving the, the holistically, I know you love that word. Is it serving, you know, the, the greater wildlife populations, um, well, and, you know, we have all these conflicts and human, uh, grizzly bear conflicts that you talked about. The stuff is, uh, way more frequent. I, I know I was just on a trip and I think we had seven grizzly bear encounters, um, nothing serious, but again, there's just a lot of grizzly bears on the landscape. It was interesting that, just a side note, the Auditor General report that came out in uh, 2017, I think they cited 15,000 bears, and the latest framework says 26 or 28,000. Obviously, I don't think it's grown that much. I'm not sure what number they're using. They talk about 10,000 mature grizzly bears, but grizzly bears are highly regulated. They're highly uh, studied. There's a lot of data on them. And there's a lot of them in the province, and it's like it's purely an emotional thing, right? It's like it just and is it the right thing for the landscape? Is it good for ungulates? Is it good for wild sheep? Is it good for 
caribou that are now on the endangered species list, right? Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. Well, I mean, and if we dumb it right down, Kyle, it, it's it's pretty straightforward. We humans have a giant impact on on nature, whether it's whether it's where we live, uh, whether it's mining, maybe whether it's road building for forestry, whether it's highways, wh- whatever the heck it happens to be. And, and we don't seem to take into account, you know, hey, I live on a, on a golf course. Well, what do you think happened to all those black-tailed deer in South Surrey, which wasn't far from where I lived, when they started putting all these golf courses in? Those deer, I mean, I was on some of those farms before they turned them into fucking golf courses and into Morgan Creek, et cetera. And there was fucking deer everywhere. And those deer all slowly disappeared. And then when I, where I was living in Langley, same thing. We'd have deer around us and in various areas. They start building houses. Those deer, you start seeing them hit. They just, they're, they're moving them. They're getting dead on the road. Well, whose fault is that? Like, let's take some fucking responsibility. Like, you have to live there. You got to do this. You got to drive a car. You want to do this. You know, it goes on, it goes on and on. And, um, and so what I was getting at was, is taking us out of the equation on the management side of things. So we've got... We've built all these roads. We've got all this infrastructure. These bears, these wolves, everything uses these, these uh, even even these horse trails and stuff that we were walking on this year that I was talking about that were covered in shit. Those bears walk the trails. Those bears walk the roads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's there's going to be problems. We're, they're moving these bears. We're moving these wolves into areas where they wouldn't normally be, uh, and they're having an impact on ungulates. I mean, and, and, and don't tell me these bears don't – don't eat calf moose. I mean, we know from studies in Alaska, et cetera, that these things predate heavily on calf moose, et cetera, sheep, whatever it happens to be, man, they're out there eating it. And and we seem to just disregard that impact uh, because they're fuzzy and pretty. And, but what about these fucking poor little bears? I mean, they're poor little bears, excuse me, poor little moose and, and, the, and the deer and stuff like that. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it's just crazy, man. I, I don't know why they seem to think one's more important. And and they'll probably say that that's, that's not the case, but that's that's what they're doing. They're putting one ahead of the other without any second thought about what the impact of letting them be unmanaged and whatnot is having, or the impact that that's having on, on the other species, right? So, Yeah, to your point, it, the October 2017 Auditor General Report, um, which is widely available online, and we'll have it up on our website too so people can click through it, but it clearly states in there that the greatest threat to grizzly bears, not hunting, but rather human activities that degrade grizzly bear habitat. It's clearly laid out by the Auditor General, who is not a hunter. They're not a special interest group. They're looking out, um, you know, they're auditing this. And, you know, that's the narrative. And it's interesting, this grizzly bear framework uh, document, you know, really it references hunting, but it, you know, there's no recommendations to, to revisit it or look at it or or anything like that. And they do in that report go on to talk about how the grizzly bear hunting was stopped in 2017, purely, purely based on, uh, social values. They talk about it. It's not the terminology they use, but it was an emotional decision. It was based on what people want to see as opposed to science, which of course we're always barking up that tree about science-based wildlife management. So, um, pretty, pretty frustrating. And, you know, the thing that gets me, Mike, is that we're seeing these higher incursions, these more bears on the landscape, like you talked about, and our ungulate populations are decimated. Talk to the guide outfitting community. It's not, it doesn't take rocket science and talk to bi- biologists. And they're just saying there's too many predators and that's decimating. Yeah. Habitat loss and all these other things, but there's too many predators, grizzly bears included that are decimating these ungulate populations. And it's a true problem. Wildlife managers can't use, and you can't use a management tool to remove them from the landscape. The only tool they had was hunting. Um, if it goes to species at risk like caribou, then they can, and they have. 
but you have to wait until it's almost gone before you can do something. That's that's ridiculous. I just don't get the logic. No, there's there's no logic there. It, it's politics, and politics really it just shouldn't be able to even weigh in on on this kind of stuff. There's just there's no reason for it. They don't want to manage it anyways. I mean, the government mm-hmm. they just don't they don't want to deal with wildlife. They they just don't. I mean, it, it's a no win situation for them, uh, except in a situation like this where they can garner votes by. By you know, by going after those votes in the urban areas and and saying how cute those bears are and let's not let's not shoot those bears, etc. But it it's it's short sighted, man, and it, and it's going to have dire impacts on our wildlife population. And, and it is, and it's there's more bears out there than anybody really has any fucking idea about. So yeah. So anyway, for our listeners, go to the wildsheepsociety.com, click on government engagement. It's on our homepage, and uh, you're going to find the framework there. But it's really important that you get out and get involved in this, uh, commenting on this. We're going to put a bunch of emails out this coming week. or Actually, they'll have been out already. Uh, we dropped this next week. And uh, it's just important that everybody comment on it. And it doesn't matter. Even if you don't want to grizzly bear hunting back, get on there and put your comments in and make sure you be, you know, you're hurt, your voice is hurt. It's really important that we all comment on this. And because I guarantee you there's people out there that are going to say some pretty bad things about grizzly bear hunting and it's not going to serve us well. So um, we need to do our side and our part. And uh, yeah, I can't believe in 2017, less than 4,500 people commented on that. Like 110,000 resident hunters of British Columbia Man, how can't we do better than that? It's yeah, you would you would really think so, and I I don't yeah again I I can't help but think that I mean there's not not everybody's as passionate about hunting as you or I or as our friends and and members of the sheep society etc. But uh, and I'm not pointing fingers, and maybe maybe people just are resting on their laurels thinking somebody else is going to do it for them. But I, in today's world, you, we we got to step up, or we're just going to get steamrolled. Yeah. Yeah, but we are getting well steamrolled. Said. Even when we step up, we're getting steamrolled. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's get away from that for a minute. And I, the one thing I want to talk about: you're super passionate about gear, man. You're you are a freaking gear junkie. And is is Lanny in the room there? Yeah, uh, she's probably she's in the kitchen right now. But <laughs> she, she's listening. It's like, oh shit, you bought that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's have a chat about uh, gear. I know you're super passionate. I know you're crazy about firearms for sure, yeah, like, but it goes yeah. well beyond that. Uh, you know, so let's talk. What's the latest, greatest? What's your latest piece of gear that is a, a must-have? You know, I yeah, I don't know. Latest, greatest. I I came back. It's funny. You're always learning. You're always picking stuff up. And uh, I came back from that sheep hunt, and uh, while we were in there, I ran into one of our other. Uh, members who's a guide up in that same country and he rolled into we were camping well actually in their camp on the on in our tents there and they rolled in on day 14 of our trip and um, they rolled into camp without clients and they'd been moving camp and I got looking at what he had for gear and we started we had two days there waiting for weather and stuff like that and uh, started looking what he had was packing for a tripod in this particular case and uh, some other neat little tidbits of stuff they had. And uh, so the latest bit, and it, it's just sitting at Canada Post right now that I've got to go and pick it up, um, is a carbon fiber tripod by a company called a- Aziak, I believe, A-Z-I-A-K, um, which I, you know, I looked at what he had, and, and he's running an 85 millimeter spotter. I'm just running a 65 at the moment. Um, 
and uh, this thing's a whole full pound lighter than my existing outdoorsman tripod. And as you as you know, when you start looking at, at weights, and uh, and I'm I'm terrible for it. Like if I find a something that's one ounce lighter and it's a hundred bucks more, I you know, she's fucking looking at me again. Um, I'll buy it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just terrible for that. I mean, I'm the guy that cuts his handle off his toothbrush and, and that kind of shit. And, and 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 kind of and I do that, and yet at the last minute. I'll be the same guy who throws in a package of freaking sausage or of you know a bunch of cheese and crackers or something like that for snacking on the bush because I also want my creature comforts if I can have them. So in some cases it is I, I'm going light lighter on some things just so that I can have some of those creature comforts. Um, and, and again, trying to keep our packs down, um, it all it all counts. I mean, and so when you get into these new stone glacier backpacks, uh, which I just bought one, although I, you know, <laughs> I was using it this this spring summer for training here. I, you know, I was packing water in it is what I was doing and hiking up the hills and doing my thing, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I just still, I still had to go back and hopefully Stone Glacier's not listening to this podcast, but I had to go back and take my Kafaru pack just because I, I did, you know, I was going on this monstrous big trip and I didn't want to rely on a brand new pack. With an un, to, to me, basically an untested frame um, for you know that kind of duration. Um, so yeah, I went right back to the same pack you're running because I, I bought that new the new bag there the other year or whatever. And uh, that's I don't even what is that the doll not the doll bag? It's the doll, yeah. It's the doll, it's the doll yeah. I bought that, yeah, that, and and I think Colin Peters runs the same one, and you've got it now, and yeah. Anyway, and the same frame because I had the frame. I've got a couple of those frames, and and they work amazingly, and and they just pack a load. So I. I yeah, I chickened out. It would have saved me two pounds over the Kafaru, two and change, I think, actually, over the Kafaru if I'd gone with that Stone Glacier. What's it called? You know the new Stone Glacier pack? Terminus 8700. Terminus 8700, yeah. Uh, and beautiful. Like I, the year before, I'd bought one from Omer, the 7000, and I tried to cram it all my gear in there. And we only had we only had 11 or 12 days worth of gear. And I, I simply I couldn't get all my gear in. So I couldn't even get all my food in that 7000. 7, cubic inch pack so i'm like fuck this omer took it back and again took my took my kafaru and um yeah between that again going back to weight that tents and stuff like that um probably the biggest thing and i know you bought one after i mentioned it to you and a couple of other members have them uh dan durston a guy out of is he out of golden or revelstoke gold Rebel. yeah i'm not sure it's somewhere in the cooties there, there but i'm not sure where young 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 guy um i don't know that he's a hunter as such but he makes these amazing um, I was going to call them still nylon, but they're not. They're still polyester, or in our case, we bought the Pro models, um, the Durston X-Mid Pro 2. We both bought, you and I both bought two-person ones. And uh, it's Kuban fiber, a real neat material. I've been running that on on a couple of other, and I know you have two on some on, on some uh, pyramid-type tents and uh, and tarps as well. I run a tarp made of Kuban fiber. And and just just that much lighter than than everything else. And these big these big items, like I say, that you got your tent, you got your backpack, you got your sleeping bag, um, and now in this case this this tripod, which isn't a big item, but it is when you can save a pound on it. I mean, you save you save one one and a half two pounds on these, or one to two pounds on each one of these items. You, it's a significant weight savings on a on a 10, 14 day trip. And I know most people are only doing nine or ten day trips, but uh, I mean, where we were this year. We were both coming, and if we'd had if we'd had one more day to rest and recoup, and and could have, could have packed an extra five days worth of food, really, because that's what it boils down to. And we, and we probably could have. I mean, again, we're only fifty. We're both fifty three. Am I fifty three on here or fifty four? Who fucking knows? Anyways, <laughs> I'm turning fifty four. There you go. So, anyways, if we could have packed that extra gear. Um, 
you know, you would. And, and that would have had a pound and a half for food a day, you know, four next to four or five days worth of food, five days worth of food, seven, seven and a half pounds, as you know. And uh, it's, it's not that much, um, but it would have given us that ability. So if you're saving on everything else, you can pack the extra bit. As it was, I've been using the, a program from, how is it? Lighter backpack, pack light. Pack, I can't remember what the heck it is. Lighter, oh man. Lighter pack, backpack light, something like that. I was on, where was I on? I was on another site on, um, what's the one that Schneider was involved with originally there um, with backpacking gear and stuff like that? Oh, shoot. I'm losing it. Anyways. Uh, uh, yeah, not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. This, this particular one gives you a spreadsheet actually and you can organize the gear how you want to organize your gear and you can be pretty religious about going through and and i you know make the list weigh every every item which i do you know i've got a nice little digital scale type thing you weigh it all add it all up but the program adds it all up for you and then you can pick and choose stuff that you're going to want to take whether it's an early season hunt a september hunt that kind of stuff um and as long as you don't disregard the list which i have a tendency to do after the fact your weights <laughs> your weights should be pretty good right um, but in saying that, like I say, all in, and, and yet this gives you the ability to, to weigh your own, well, to, to include your own clothes, your, your, everybody weighs, says, hey, my God, I, I, I go sheep hunting for seven to nine days, whatever, I got a 45 pound pack, and I'm like, you guys are full of fucking shit. Yeah. They obviously, they can't eat, they can't be eating anything. I, I don't know, how do you do this? Like, in, and most of, most of us aren't through hikers, so we got to have more than one pound of food a day to, to, to keep or sustain our, our, our bodies, right? And uh, anyways, long story short, um, I think the, the, the variation ends up being in how people, what, what they're weighing basically and what they're scaling. I mean, if, you, if you're just going to weigh your backpack without food or you weigh your backpack without your water, as an example, uh, but you pack three liters of water, but you don't factor that into your overall bag, your overall weight, then you're not giving yourself a true, you know, scale to what you're actually carrying. So long story short, when we started, I started using that program, it's lighter backpack is what it is. And um started using that program and you can add that this in you can add the clothes you're wearing um you can add your your binoculars whatever you want to do and you can you can sort of see the various categories on 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 what it is that you're you're weighing and how it's how it's organized it just gives you a really good feel and on a 14 14 day trip like we were i was just shy of 70 pounds with with my rifle with my gunworks and uh talking to a couple other people and like they that's that's not possible like our buddy Corey green there he's like that's that sounds really light and i'm like well yeah but i'm down to and we both call and i packed our own tents this year too but i packed that durst tent at two and what is it two and a half pounds that's it's two. less than that man well that's i, I, I but i packed it i threw some extra rope in on some extra cordage on some stuff and then i was packing those bigger poles right and i put a drop sheet under mine okay i was okay. running a still nylon drop sheet but anyways, uh, I mean, to call it two pounds even, it, it, it was just a, it was a real, a real neat deal. The only thing I don't, didn't like about it was having to wipe it down with my, my pack towel every morning from the condensation from my, from my breathing. And I'm sure that two of you guys in that tent must have been a challenge too, eh? Yeah, it was a bathtub in there, man. Like it, it, it was good. I liked it. And it was like, we run the bear paw before Yeah. and this was, it was good. I liked it. Like, don't get me wrong, but there were it's got limitations. And the one thing about it is you got to find flat ground, especially <laughs> if you're running two, two guys. I was, I was, and we, oh, fuck. We, we, pardon my language, but we had, we had one night where it was like, oh, it was, it was not good. Um, I, I was thinking yeah. about you guys, Kyle, because there was, I mean, again, in these, on our travels into this, this spot that we were hunting. Um, yeah, I mean, you're in, in, you're not up on top. You, you don't have the flat ground. You're, you're traveling in the bottoms in a lot of cases. 
And uh, I was using the two person as a one person. So I had the ability to take the middle of the tent to put my head where I wanted it. But I can imagine that particular tent design is designed that you'd have a one person's head at one end of the tent, one person's head at the other end of the tent, um, just because of the layout and how it is. And, and you, you would be really hard pressed. There was a few spots there where, I mean, you'd, you'd wake up and your head would look like a fucking beat, man. Like you'd, <laughs> you'd have one guy would be freaking, you know, head, head a foot lower in some cases. I mean, it was just a, it was really challenging pitching in a few places that we were at. That's exactly the problem we had. So we, We'd gone and we were done at the end of the day, and we're just we got to the point where we're done. We're not going any further. I, I was I was toast, and um, in fact, I needed water. We we're out of water, and Mike's like he had some gas in the tank, so he ran and grabbed some water. And we're like we're setting up camp here because I'm like I'm not going any further. I'm done. It's either that or drop down, and we didn't want to drop down, obviously. So we just set up, and it was honestly, I took a picture of it, Mike. You, you, I it was 15 degree incline, I'm sure, um, yeah. but it, it was steep. And the problem, like you said, is that it's designed so that the head, there's lots of headroom if you do head to toe, head to toe, right? No problem. But if you're both at the same end, the one guy's got zero clearance. So we were like using hiking poles and we were like kind of had it propped up. And, um, and then Mike, Mike had, oh, it's interesting. I got an X-Therm light, uh, really cool. It's, I love it. Great pad. It's, I bought it from Bob in Kelowna in 2013. So okay. 10 years old. Awesome. It's got really good stick. And it, I never slide. Mike keeps going through pads, and he bought the X-Therm, and super light, good R value. But again, it's there's no adhesive on the bottom. So he's just like a skidoo coming down. Like <laughs> He kept piling up at the bottom of the tent. He was just like piled up. I looked down, and he's literally four feet below me, man. Like oh, yeah. I'm not kidding. Like yeah. He's like in a little ball down the corner. I'm like, what the hell? Oh, hell? I know. And, and had a horrible sleep. But So that's, that's the knock on that was uh, uneven terrain. You need to find fairly flat. And there were a few times where we're sleeping head to head. Uh, fortunately, it was like we had good clearance. And like I slept the one time with the low head clearance um, because it was just that, you know, if you there's a bit of an incline, you just, if you got your feet up in the air, it just is weird, right? Like, oh, totally. Um, and, it's, you know, it was I, okay. It worked I, out well. I was feeling bad for the guy who was going to be sleeping that, in a head to head situation with the, with the head and the foot, foot box of that tent being slightly at an angle, the one guy's head, they're, you're not head to head. You got some guy's head is sticking in your armpit basically. So whoever's, whoever that yeah. poor bugger is on day three or four is, is just going to be having yeah. a great time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you said, there was quite a bit of condensation for two guys. It was pretty. Um, so I know Chuck Peeling, um, he's, he would ran it too. And Chuck said, Oh, they, he just had the fly. He just somehow uh, pitched it. So the fly was a bit higher. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you maybe can't. that worked, but. But, you know, again, depending on the situation, and it does, again, if you're on flat ground, it's really easy to pitch with the fly higher, um, but not so easy when you're on uneven terrain. And, uh, yeah, anyways, I, I liked it, Limit, got limitations. Would I take it again? Absolutely. Would I just pack it for me and my dog? Absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm at yeah. a point in life where I'm thinking, hey, man, like, maybe they, my hunting partner can pack his own fucking tent and I'll just keep yeah. me and my dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I, I, after this trip, I was like, you know, cause at Durston, I just looked, you're right. It's exactly two pounds. I threw a couple extra pegs in there at your urging, um, a couple extra guy lines and it was 2.001 was okay. what it weighed. Yeah. Um, and you had, and yeah. So on, right at two, you had the floor, the, yeah. the, the, uh, not the floor, but the, uh, the ground sheet on yours or no? 
No, I didn't put a ground sheet. Like it, it comes with a bathtub bottom, of course, yeah. but I didn't put an extra ground sheet on it. So, well, uh, we yeah, just... I mean, I was, yeah, I don't generally run them either. Again, from a weight saving perspective, but uh, at a thousand bucks for, a, oh, she's right beside me again. She's looking at me. A thousand <laughs> bucks for freaking for a tent like that. It's just like, yeah, I'm gonna throw one of these under it because some you don't know what you're sleeping on. Half the time we're sleeping on rocks, and you start cutting those steel nylon bottoms, and they ain't worth a shit yeah. at that rate. So. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no. that was that was the neatest piece piece of gear that I ran this year. I'm excited to try the new tripod, um, which I will take here in September if that's what is is actually sitting at the post office for me. And um, what else was there? Not not a hell of a lot. Oh, and uh, well, I just got it the other day actually from over there. That new Gunworks bipod. Well, that's a pretty slick looking unit. It doesn't weigh. It's good, eh? You like it? it? Yeah, I, I haven't shot off yet. I'm going to hopefully do that this weekend. Um, is it any better than what you and I are already running? Um, probably, probably not. And it, but it's one ounce lighter. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, and honestly, in a mountain setting, uh, it probably will afford you more options on uh, on on a, a ability. It'll drop down lower. It'll work at different angles. The legs will work differently. The, I, I think it does give us some options. But you also can't. I mean, you need to go and shoot it. Like you need to go and get out in the bush and shoot off that thing. To be familiar enough with it to take advantage of it in the bush, but no, no different than these than any of these long range gun range guns too. Everybody seems to think they can buy a gun works in their automatic fucking snipers, right? Doesn't really work. I didn't tell you, I didn't tell you this, but with our with our doll, um, Mike Mike's got a Spartan, I think, on his, which I've got the Atlas, and I yeah. love it. There's some of the things the Spartan where I was like, ah, not sure. Like you can't hike with it on, right? Yeah, no, yeah, I never do either, can, right? I, I yeah, right. I always have mine in my pack, so. Yeah, fair. So, but uh, Mike just said like for him that was so he had he shot his ram. He was three sixty, I think. I ranged him at, and um, it was he just said like with that bipod and just he just said it's so freaking solid. He just felt so good, and he just he knew it was going to be a good shot. Nice. And he, he shot, and you hear it hit. We couldn't really tell where it hit. I knew he hit. We both knew he hit, and the ram turned like completely away from us, so he was directly facing away from us. And there's kind of some escape terrain right below them there. And there was a couple of rams with them. They're kind of weirded out. And we're just sitting there waiting, kind of waiting. And I'm watching them through the, I think the binos or maybe the spotter. I can't remember which thing I was on. So I could see really well. And I could see his legs start to go, right? You know, it's right at that point where he's just going to flop over. And Mike's like, he goes, Kyle, I'm, I just, he goes, I just don't want to risk it. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And uh, so jams another one in, shoots, goes down shoots him and he just drops down so we get up to the ram and we're looking at him and there's the entry shot perfect shot it was absolutely he was dying for sure if but it solid call to do the follow-up so the second shot was the old uh texas heart shot right and i'm not kidding man there was his ass and if you looked there was probably a quarter inch of uh skin and there was an entry wound and where it went in and we're like, okay, well, where did it come out? Like, and, and how much did we destroy this meat? Like, we're like, the meat's probably screwed, right? And we we gutted this thing out and went through and, and got the meat off. It went straight through his ass, like a quarter inch to the left of his asshole, all the way up, and it broke his jaw. His jaw was broken oh, when wow. he got up there and went in his face, in his skull, broke his, his jaw and didn't come out. Oh, so it, it's somewhere in his head. And honestly, so we... We're taking, we're doing the meat, and I've never had a bloody pack out like that, man. We didn't lose an ounce of meat. There was nothing. There was nothing. 
the meat was perfect. Like it was, you, I, I can't even believe it. You would have thought that hind quarter was probably messed up. Like we trimmed maybe a little bit, but honestly, it was a little bit of bloodshot. That was it. There was, it, it was no loss at all. It was the best kill shot. Well, it it worked. It worked. So, yeah, it no doubt. Bizarre. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, thinking about kill shots and stuff like that, we've all all have or do shoot magnums or half shot magnums, etc. And and years ago, I started hunting with some European calibers, and and the one I I've shot a lot of my animals with is is a nine point three by sixty four, and it shoots a well, I shoot a two hundred eighty six grain partition out of it. And Chris and I again we're up in the Northwest Territories, and we're hunting moose up there, and I shoot this moose like right through the shoulder with this thing and I'm expecting, oh man, like we, uh, here we are. Like I'm just blowing this poor moose up and get up there and skin the thing out and do our thing. And, uh, and you could literally cut a half inch around that bullet on both sides wow. and, and away you go. It was, it was unbelievable. It just, uh, it just did. It, I mean, slightly slower. Like, I guess, I don't know if it's a combination of bullet weight, velocity, uh, whatever. I mean, there was some, there was a, I don't know if I hit bone or not. We must've hit bone on that. And, um, anyways, yeah, we were able to salvage every last scrap of meat. And I noticed it. I've shot polar bears with, I shot most of my grizzly bears with that caliber and all sorts of things, Roosevelt, buffaloes, etc. And, uh, yeah, it just works. It just works. Huh. But that's awesome. Me raving about my, what, yeah. what were you, uh, carrying these seven saw them in the mountains on this one? Yeah. I, I had my, that gun works, um, um, cut for that I bought from Homer. So that's in seven saw them. Yeah. Yeah, little okay. barrel yeah. deal. Like it's yeah, like it, it's not super light. It's uh, again an interesting gun. I've got a couple of Gunworks guns, as you know, and that particular one uh, is the lightest. Um, also, the most difficult to shoot consistently. Um, just uh, it's one of those guns. It's not as not as bad as, as trying to shoot some of these lightweight Kimbers, etc. Um, as far as as far as shootability, and, and I guess shootability is one of those things that you until you shoot them you don't really know what shootability is if you're one of those guys that goes and shoots you know three shots a year shootability probably means fuck all to you but um but if uh, if you shoot them enough and you have enough guns uh, that you shoot different firearms then you can go from one gun that just every time you squeeze the trigger uh, the gun just fits it all works etc um it's an easy gun to shoot for for lack of any any scientific terminology. Uh, whereas what I found with this this lighter gun, just with the with the caliber, possibly with the uh, the lighter weight of it, off of bipods. Uh, and we're shooting. I, I just finished taking a course, a shooting course here with. Um, uh, shoot, who did I take course with? You know who he is. Furlong with Rob Furlong. Furlong. Thank you. So yeah, he had he was doing a, a long range shooting course and. In, in Prince George, uh, I mean, they're out of Alberta originally, uh, or they, they come from Alberta, do the course here in PG. Uh, super, super well worth it. I'm a reasonably experienced shooter. I do a bit of it, um, but I learned an awful lot. Some of it really just reinforcing basic principles. Um, but what I, what I was getting at is, is, again, just one gun being that much different. And you, and you hear the story say, you know, beware of the one gun, the one gun hunter or the guy that's only got one gun. They probably know how to use it. And I, and I, and I do believe there's a lot of truth uh, in, in a statement like that, um, but in saying that, like say, if you if you shoot enough, uh, and what I was alluding to earlier with, hey, you buy a gun works, it doesn't make you an automatic sniper. It, it freaking doesn't. You got to get out there. You need to shoot your. Well, you need to shoot. If you give, if you're if you're one of these guys that wants to push the yardage and push the extremes, uh, and I'm not one of those. I, I but I do like to have the ability if I need it to be able to be confident a little farther than I want. But again, I hunt with a bow hunter, so most of the stuff we're shooting is under is you know 
<laughs> lots of times Chris can't get her done. And well, I'm the guy standing on the other side of the rock shooting that sheep at 70 yards instead of 50 yards with the bow, right? So that that's the kind of stuff. Uh, so it's not as important to me, but uh, but you've got to practice. And uh, and I, I can't stress it enough. And it's not just practice. It's uh, when you go to do these courses, they're, you and I, I, I know I've got the odd bad habit. Uh, you probably possibly do as well. You, you learn what 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 to do, what not to do, and they reinforce it. And, it. and it just becomes simple, basic principles that you follow through each time on every shot you make. And uh, it just it's just well worth the money is all I can say. It's me. It's, I don't know if it's made me a better shot, but it's made me more confident. I can I'll probably take the next level two course. I'll maybe do the level three course moving forward. It, it's just that kind of stuff is just if you're an avid hunter, avid shooter, um, do it, man. Do it or shoot with somebody who really knows what the fuck's going on. I, I, I've got a couple of friends that do that are exceptional shots and exceptional shooters. But these guys are these guys are guys that shoot a, a gun barrel out once or twice a year. Like that's how many that's how much shooting they do, right? So none and none of us do that. So well, and it kind of you kind if you're if you're buying these high end firearms that are capable of a thousand yards, and if you don't know how to use it, what's the point of having it? You might as well just have a one that'll shoot to four hundred anyway or three hundred and not not spend that kind of money because yeah you, you you invest all this and i kind of feel like i'm at that like this gun is way beyond what i'm able to shoot and I, i'm comfortable now like i you know i i go to the range and shoot 500 yards and really nice grouping like sub moa and i'm yeah. comfortable with it but i also know that if i had the training i'd shoot a thousand yards and be able to do that right i, I think you're absolutely right and, and yeah absolutely you're, you're bang on there it's uh yeah <laughs> I, I can't stress enough i mean i think in this today's world with the ethics involved with 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 the social media aspect of people and this and that i i personally don't find the long range shooting of animals like sheep goats etc a, a really particularly acceptable i mean if you i, I get it that sometimes you, you got to take a longer shot but if you're one of those guys that shoots once a year don't buy a gun ricks and go out and do it you're, you're likely going to be disappointed you're not doing anything it's not respectful for the animals. I mean, really, in my mind, it, it's uh, even with bears. I think that was is one of my prime ones. Go, I go back to bear hunting, and when I first was guiding with Rod up in the Yukon, he's like, "100 yards maximum. Do not shoot those bears beyond 100 yards." And mm -hmm. uh, and 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 rightly so. And don't get me wrong, we're all. I think most of us, or a lot of us, are, are certainly capable of doing that. But you get the guy who's super excited, who who's maybe it's his first time. Um, you know, shooting a grizzly bear or at one or whatever it happens to be, uh, it, it's a bad story, man. Like I've, I've, I have had to finish off enough of them in my guiding career that, uh, yeah, you, you realize what pe people's personal abilities are uh, in the heat of the moment. And I mean, hey, man, I'm, I, I've missed some, I've missed some freaking chip shots at freaking deer and, and whatever else over the years too. So even guys that have a bit of experience behind them are going to, are going to miss. And, and even Furlong said as much. I mean, that's, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, it happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, so let's back it up. Your your seven Psalm Gunworks. What are you running? Is it what, what model Gunworks do you have? Is it well, it's, the, it's a climber. climber. So yeah, it's a climber. It's yeah. one of the. It's so the 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 cut is a. They every year Gunworks comes out with a with a special edition gun. Um, they do a, a, a limited production run of that gun or the combination, whatever it happens to be for that year. Um, and so I believe it was last, I ran that gun last August as well. So two, two years in a row. So it's two, two years old. 
Um, they came out with this particular gun. It had a lighter weight carbon fiber stock than they normally have. All the same dimensions, basically. They had gone down to a slimmer carbon fiber wrapped barrel. Um, everything on it that can be is titanium. The receiver's titanium, but more than just the regular titanium, they've, they've got uh, lightning cuts in the, in the receiver and in the bolt. Um, titanium muzzle brake, titanium screws, etc. titanium swivels. I mean, just, well, excuse me, no, the swivels are not because it doesn't have swivel studs, it's got cups. Um, but yeah, it, basically they've lightened it up every which way possible uh, to make it as light as possible. And um, yeah, I, I do love the gun. It, it took me a while, again, going back to shooting, it took me a while to get onto that gun. I, I, I've got, it, like say, a couple other gun works and uh, they're all easier guns to shoot than this particular gun. Um, but it's, other than my 300 PRC, it's the only gun works I've been shooting this year and, I, and I've got her figured out. But it's, uh, it's, it's just, yeah, you, you've got to get a feel for your firearm. I mean, it, it's like anything, man. Well, I remember you talking about going to the range. You're like, fuck, like I've spent all this money and it's just like, and then it's like, but you're working with Omer and you're like, you know, there's and Garrick too. And you just, and then you finally got it dialed. And you're like, okay, yeah, now. Yeah, and yeah. so it was, it was you, it wasn't the gun. It was just like getting, getting you dialed, right? So. Well, I, I think more than anything. Cause yeah, I mean, it just didn't, because of the, it's just that little bit lighter and the harmonics, whatever it happens to be in the recoil curve. I, I don't know what the fuck, how to describe it, but uh, it was just, you couldn't grip that gun. Like if you grip that gun, you're going to have all sorts of weird shit going on. Like it's, it's just one of these guns. It's, you got to treat it like a fine lady, right? You just got to be gentle, right? You know what I mean, Kyle? <laughs> yes i do <laughs> um so on that note uh what what is it weigh in at uh that one loaded with a sling is it's six and six and change buddy but i also with loaded with the sling yeah. and scope the whole works oh wow okay that's that's impressive yeah yeah because that's significantly lighter and i i've heard aaron talk about it and he's like you know, he's not a big fan of those six and a half pound guns. He just doesn't like yeah, them. Yeah, well, like, they're so. Yeah, and in saying that, like that, this particular one's got a Lupul Variax uh, six on it, and and I may actually change it. In fact, Omer just sent me a set of rings. I'll probably put a Mark Five on it just to get a little bit more weight over that receiver. And uh, I put the detachable box or detachable magazine on instead of the the uh, the uh, the box magazine with a floor plate. Um, and it just added, it added a little more. My gun's actually a little heavier than some of them. And it, when I say six and a half, it, it's probably closer to seven pounds, but it, it is, it is shy. I want to say six pounds, 11, 12 ounces type thing. It's, it's not crazy light, but it's, but it's, it's nice. I mean, I've shot a few five and a half pound type guns and, and they're even in a, in a 708, the one I had was a 708 Ackley and it was fucking abusive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the VX6, um, what, uh, What's your, um, is it 4 to 24, the 34 mil, or what is it? Uh, yeah, it's the, whatever it would be, to 18 power. Oh, 3 to 18, because I know um, you had the Mark V, same one as me, and it was like 4 to 24 or whatever. And yeah, you, you had the 5 uh, and a half to 25 or whatever, and I, I switched and went down to the 3.5 to 18 is what I did. Yeah, and, and you like it better, eh? You're happier. Yeah, it, Again, I yeah, I mean, it's certainly optically, you're going to have better light transmission through that uh, bigger objective, the longer tube itself. I mean, the longer tube makes a big difference on light transmission. Like, again, these little things that I learned on this furlong course, um, so much little little stuff. Uh, I, I was just looking for a lighter, smaller, tighter little package, right? I just wanted something that, that just, you know, yeah, you, it just doesn't take up space, essentially, is what I was looking for. I've always liked carbine-length guns because these things are all all got shorter barrels. You're shooting 20-inch barrels. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, right on. Um, cool. Uh, what else? Any other gear talk we want to do? So you run oh, we, the Barrow Doll. We talked about that. Yeah, We could talk gear all day long, buddy. But, uh, but yeah, then we start getting into that. We could be another couple hours. We, why, don't we, uh, why don't we hit on, uh, on our upcoming change of venue for the for our next fundraiser and, and moving from Kamloops to Penticton and, and the things that are surrounding that project. You're super fired up about this. So am I, but I, I love your enthusiasm. You're, you're jacked, man. And I, I'm pumped and I, so let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Lay it well, up for me. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's as much you or more you than, than me, obviously uh, at this juncture, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we were going from, we've been all over the place. Uh, we, we do run two fundraisers a year for the, for those of you that aren't in the loop, we do a northern fundraiser in uh, in the earlier part of February in Dawson Creek, and then we've uh, we've typically run a fundraiser in the first week, first or second week of March uh, in Kamloops or Kelowna. Uh, as of late, it's been it's been Kamloops. Um, but uh, long story short, uh, we're excited about a move to uh, to a, a different venue in Penticton um, in conjunction with uh, with one of the hotels, with the Lakeshore Hotel and the uh, Penticton Convention Center. And what we've got going on there, it's uh, we're really trying to gear it up into uh, into a, a solid, well, e- an even more solid event. I mean, we just keep growing leaps and bounds, and uh, and we seem to be doing our show gets better and better all the time. I hear people say it's the it's the you know of, of all the the wildlife shows and, and gear and gun clubs, etc. It's it's the best show that people go to, yeah, and people rave about it. Um, and it's great that we that we we're having that impact on people's lives. Um, but this one should be even better. Uh, so this year we, we're doing the convention center. We're going to have a bunch of, of stuff going on that you can lead into. Uh, my my big thing is we've we've got a, a past uh, director of ours now hired to help plan around uh, around a gear type event basically. So we're we're going to be doing something um, in the convention center um, where hopefully we'll have 30, 30 to 50 vendors, um, showing us their wares, whether it's gunworks or snowy mountain rifles or Kafaru as an example, uh, Omer will be there with his whole array of stuff. Um, and then there's so many, maybe we'll get Durston out there with his tents and, and this kind of stuff. And, and just really build a, a neat experience where you can have firsthand interactions with these, with these vendors, um, and, and again, for, for me, it's, uh, winters, you know, other than now I live on a lake so I can, I can get up in the, in the wintertime and, and go ice fishing and go catch a bourbon all night long or do whatever I want to do. But, uh, but I do over the years, it's been gear that's kept me alive and that search for the ultimate, you know, it, it keep me out of, you know, I'm not watching TV. It keeps me out of the bar. Maybe I don't know, I, you know, but it, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's fun shit. Right. So, and I, and I think sheep hunting, uh, again, builds that. That relationship between you, what you're packing on your back, and uh, and, uh, and I think most of us over the years we've started with whatever we've started with, and we've had that natural transition into where we're at today. Uh, and and to, to see the latest and greatest gear in front of you is is a real a real neat deal. And uh, I think we all have a tendency to want to be at the at the top of that curve as far as what's the what's the latest stuff, and I'm going to try that this year, and I'm going to run with that, etc. And I, I think a lot of us sheep hunters do that, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm stoked about it too. And, you know, kind of our vision that we've talked about is there's lots of trade shows out there for the outdoor industry, um, you know, and but, you know, not very laser focused. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you're a whitetail hunter or maybe, maybe you're not fish. even a hunter. Too much fish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not really a focus. And, and our goal with this is, you know, people that come to our show, they're, 
dedicated to mountain hunting. And so we want to create a mountain hunting expo or ex, uh, experience. And, and that's really what we're, we're shooting for. And what we'd like to do is, you know, we'd like to have a big event that, you know, we have hundreds of uh, exhibitors and people come and that's what they're there for. They come to, you know, it'd be cool if, if that was the big draw and our show was kind of the small part. Like right now that everyone comes to the show and because of limitations in the Kamloops, we never really had the ability before to expand it. We have a dozen vendors and that's kind of the best we could do. And we're super selective. We got the ones that we wanted there, but now we can really go after it. And, you know, we've got great relationships with our conservation partners. A lot of people down South that are great, uh, have great products. What we want to do is get them all up here to Penticton and, you know, you show up, and you can get the latest, greatest gear, and and uh, it's really we're hoping that this is a destination for the expo itself, let alone the the sheep week or sheep show or whatever yeah, uh, we I, want to call it. It's definitely to conservation. Add to the it's just going to round out the entire experience, I think. And uh, and guaranteed, we're we're not going to hit that hundred hundred fifty vendors first year out, but uh, that growth is going to be is going to be part of the interesting interesting side effect of the whole thing like it, it's just going to be cool watching it grow like i mean i mm-hmm. i've been around this long enough so you know i've been at i don't even know like my kids are again they're 26 21 27 so i've been doing this been involved with the sheep society for about 25 26 years right so watching us grow from from our sort of i i don't i mean i liken it to a gun club type sized organization into what we are today and the and the funding that we're able to do and uh, and our incremental growth um, is just it's just really cool to watch it's just like it's like watching your kids grow up kind of right except now i'm i'm fucking grandpa and and i say shit (laughs) they sometimes right so (laughs) (laughs) yes you do that's why we like Uh, right on. Well, Mike, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I want to touch on, um, but honestly, we've been at it for almost an hour and a half here. So let's um, let's kind of call it a day today. And but let's come back. Because honestly, like the whole conservation story, I love. Like the thing that gets me going is you've done this, like you said, 26, 25 plus years, and you're still here. Like, and you and it's not like you're just showing up and getting the pats on the back like there's still a ton of leadership that comes out of what you're doing there and it's pretty bloody inspiring i I look at sort of you know david's a great example certainly you and chris you're still on the board and just uh and there's others too don't get me wrong but you know you and chris being still involved it's pretty bloody inspiring man no i appreciate i appreciate that sentiment i mean i don't i don't think it's uh again this kind of conservation work isn't isn't all easy and uh and you've got to have a passion for it. I mean, there's some trying times, man. And there's, as as you know, we've we've dealt with some in the last year or so. And it's just not it's not all easy. And and no, a lot of people really don't care. I mean, other than the people within our organization um, that see what's going on, I don't think any of us are here for a slap on the back and and a, and a and a well well done handshake type thing. I and mean, we were here because the animals mean something to us, and because we want to see a future where our friends, family children, grandkids, etc., actually have an animal population that's sustainable enough to actually give us a hunt. And uh, and nowadays, it's not even necessarily about having the population, but possibly about having the uh, the wherewithal to, to keep ahead of the antis in this fucking woke world that we live in and uh, and keep our, our lifestyle sustainable. Wow. Awesome. Well said. Um, can't really top that for a closing, so uh, appreciate it. <laughs> Um, we'll do this again because I want to talk about the conservation stuff, and there's a ton of gear stuff we can still talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's uh, let's do that again. We'll do let's do a gear talk down the road sometime, and yeah, we'll, we'll actually lay it all out, and then we can talk about it. You can 
point of what I've got on the floor and we can actually have a real BS and I'll make sure I got all my ducks in a row so I've got all the real 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 numbers etc well maybe we talk nicely to Lanny and bring Melanie up and uh, yeah. bring a bottle of whiskey and get the girls on some wine and you and I do one in person because that's those are the fun ones right like as you know so, yeah absolutely um, but uh, appreciate it thanks for taking the time today and honestly man like thanks for all you do for wildlife conservation the society just anyway you're not one to take accolades i'm not going to spend a bunch of time but it's it's everyone gets what you do and we're grateful so thank you right on buddy appreciate it man